Good evening. Scripture reading this evening will come from Genesis chapter 25, 27 through 34. Genesis 25, 27 through 34. I was going to read out of the King James Version, but the verbiage was a bit confusing. So I switched to the English Standard Version. Look it up, you'll see what I mean. 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thank you and be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you this evening and to worship with you and to have this portion, this part of the worship, to discuss with you this great story that comes from Genesis chapter 25. I bring you greetings from Gun Barrel City, the Beacon Congregation there, fine congregation of God's people. Uh, Brother Dan Baum is the uh, minister there and a very faithful gospel preacher. Today was their friend's day. Everybody bring a friend, and they've asked me to come and speak for them. So I spoke this morning in the Bible class and then in the morning worship service. Then we, too, had a luncheon, and then after that, an uh, afternoon worship service, and then that gave me opportunity to come back and be back here with you tonight, and I'm very grateful for the privilege uh, I certainly have you in my thoughts and in my prayers while I'm away. I'm very grateful for your prayers. Phil, I want to thank you for filling in for me. I hear a lot of good comments about the lessons today, and I know you too had a wonderful day. It's been a beautiful uh, day that God has given, and we're very grateful for it. I'm very happy to be back with you once again. Thank you, Stan, for these songs tonight. I always appreciate the time that these men put into preparing the songs, picking out just the right songs as Stan has done tonight. Thank you for that. And making our worship all the more meaningful, all the more important to us. And uh, those, those very thoughtful uh, progressions of songs I thought were very meaningful to us all. Beautiful songs, songs I've grown up singing and truly love, and I know you do as well. And for all our men who lead us, uh, who are involved in worship, we're very grateful to you. Thank you for your service to our Lord and to this fine congregation of God's people. Uh, in this passage of Genesis chapter 25, you find a very interesting story. It's filled with a lot of um, uh, plots and strategies. It's filled with a lot of inner workings. This one trying to get up on that one. This one trying to get ahead of that one. We all have read from time to time the wonderful story of Jacob and Esau and how it's revealed for us in the pages of the Bible. 
how that this man came and sold his birthright for a portion of stew. Jacob was born. You see these two twins. You had um, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. If you'll read that Genesis chapter 25, it'll tell us more about that. Esau was born first, but as he was born, his brother Jacob was clasping him by the heel. And he's called the heel catcher. Uh, it means he's a cheater. And that's about the way it turned out with Jacob. He cheated his brother. And his brother didn't fare very well either. And you'll recall this story. As Clint read it for, for us this evening, how that he had come from the field. You see, Esau was a man of the field. He loved to go hunting. And he was sort of the favorite of his father, Isaac. But yet Jacob was a man who lived in tents. And he was the favorite of his mother, Rebekah. You see, that's what happens when you have children. You favor one over the other. It creates a dysfunctional kind of family. And that's what we have in this family, the family of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Isaac was well fixed. He had inherited all that his father Abraham had. Abraham was very wealthy, and all of that fell to him as the next in line. He was the son that would receive the birthright. The birthright was an important thing in ancient times in the patriarchal age. It was the birthright whereby he would receive the eldest son, leadership position of the family. This was sort of a clan. It was a family. And the family had a leader. And to the leader of the family, why they would turn to him in this patriarchal period of time. The leader of the family would be responsible for worshiping for the family leading the family in worship and leading the family from place to place. If a father had two sons, the estate was divided into thirds. The oldest son would receive two-thirds. The younger son would receive one-third. Here the heel catcher sees his brother coming from the field. And his brother says, you know, I'm about to starve to death. I doubt really if that was true. He's probably exaggerating. Probably felt famished being out in the field like he was. He said, give me some of the stew that you've made. And Jacob, the heel catcher, the schemer, said, well, sure, I'll sell it to you for the birthright. Esau reasoned within himself, well, if I die, the birthright's not going to do me any good. I'll just go ahead and trade for my birthright. So he took the birthright and he traded that, the rights to it, the privileges which he had, gave it to his brother Esau. Now this text, as you read it tonight, says in that last verse, verse 34, Thus Esau despised his birthright. To despise the birthright means that he, he did not hold it in value. He did not treasure it. He didn't look upon it as a very important matter at all. Esau has several problems, not only that. It tells us clearly that he's a man that's not really concerned about spiritual things. And he didn't value the spiritual birthright like he should. He didn't show how precious it really was. He was a problem for his mother and his father. In chapter 26, he goes out away from them and marries Hittite women. Verse 34, there uh, the Bible tells us that they were a, a problem for them in uh, their lives. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Ben, and the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was a problem. Esau was not one that was 
looking upon spiritual matters like he should. He didn't take advantage of the opportunities that he had. Had wonderful opportunity to be the leader of the family, to receive the birthright, but he was a man who just wouldn't value spiritual things. He comes up in the writing of the Hebrew letter, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at about verse 12. There the writer tells us something of encouragement for those Christians of that day and ours. In his encouraging, notice how he says, now lift up your hands. And almost like a doctor diagnosing a a sick patient, he says, now this is what you need to do to feel stronger and to be better. Verse 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. He's really speaking spiritually here and he's telling them be strong. Strengthen yourself and grow in faith. Don't lose your faith. You know, the people of the audience of the Hebrew writer were being tempted to fall away from the Christ and to fall away from the Word of God and to go back into Judaism. This Hebrew writer over and over again, especially in the text that I've mentioned, is trying to say, strengthen yourself. Be strong in faith. Don't be weak in faith. And don't fall away. Then he says in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Make sure that you're in the grace of God and make sure that you're receiving the grace of God and don't fall away from it. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. That can happen. I've seen it happen. Perhaps you've seen it happen as well where a person has bitterness grow up in their heart and they become so bitter that they just fall away. Whatever the reason might be, it might be for some reason of loss or some reversal in life. Somebody may not have treated them properly, may have treated them wrongly, and been wrong in the doing of it. But yet, because of bitterness, they allow that to cause them to fall from the faith and no longer be faithful. But it doesn't stop there. And by it become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. In other words, he's warning against fornication and sexual impurity. He says, now don't let that happen in your life. How many times has that taken place where people have fallen away from the Word of God because of their sexual immorality, their sexual purity, impurity? And he warns against that matter. And he talks about this instance of Esau being unholy or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. In other words, he was a profane person. A profane person doesn't value holy things. A profane person doesn't value spiritual things. A profane person, though he has many opportunities which God has given him, he does not treasure them and build them up and hold them as great opportunities for his life. And he is saying, now don't be filled with bitterness which can lead you away. Don't be involved in sexual immorality, which can cause you to lose your faith. And don't be like a profane person like Esau that doesn't see the opportunity, doesn't see the value of what God has given. A man who despised his birthright. Opportunities are precious, God is saying, and we need to think about our lives. So let's do that tonight. Let's not sell out like Esau did. But let's think about the opportunities God has given And let's take advantage of them. So I thought of this passage, Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, you have a passage here which really admonishes us to consider how we live. 
And when the Bible says that, then we really ought to pay attention. So now with your Bible open, you and I together are reading out of Ephesians 5 beginning at verse 15. And notice how he mentions it. Look carefully then how you walk. Walk is a metaphor for live. All Paul is saying there is be careful how you live. Watch out how you live your life, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. He's saying there are times our days are difficult. These are difficult days. And so take advantage of every opportunity because this is a precious thing that you have, opportunities which come your way, which God has given, and don't look upon them the opportunities and the life that you have before God as a profane thing. Value it. Value the opportunities. Therefore do not be foolish, verse 17 continues, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Isn't that a great verse? You and I can understand the will of God. You know, most of the religious world out there thinks that you can't understand the Bible. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be great for the devil's argument? We just can't understand the Bible, so we won't try. You can understand the Word of God. And he's saying, now be careful about this. You can understand God's Word. Do not get drunk with wine, verse 18, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a great passage, and I love reading about it. And I looked at it, and I thought, now here's a good illustration of this very point. He's writing to these Jewish Christians. They become children of God. He's writing to Gentile Christians. They become children of God. They saw an opportunity. The Jews saw an opportunity here, and they turned from their Jewish ways and became Christians. You know, you never know how a person's going to react. And if I just looked upon the matter, I would think, you know, those Jews are never going to obey the gospel. You know, they believed in a materialistic kind of kingdom and a kind of military type of Messiah. Are they going to respond to a Messiah who dies on a cross, who suffers and dies for them? And that became a stumbling block to many of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at about verse 18. Paul talks about the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. He's saying there to some it was a stumbling block. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness, Paul says in that paragraph. But some Jews responded to the gospel. They saw an opportunity. And by looking at that opportunity, they responded to it. It was a precious thing that God had given them. I thought of this illustration in Acts chapter 18. And perhaps we haven't spent enough time on that. In Acts chapter 18, you have Priscilla and Aquila. And there they take a man aside and they teach him the Word of God in a more complete way. Now this particular preacher is a mighty preacher. His name's Apollos. And you find him here in Acts 18 and 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke the truth accurately, the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now verse 27. 
And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. That's a wonderful story. Just sort of a side note found on this third missionary journey, how that Priscilla and Aquila saw an opportunity, a precious opportunity, and they thought, you know, that guy is a powerful preacher. That fellow is mighty in the scriptures. He knows it. He knows how to put it together. He knows how to explain it and how to teach it. But he's got a problem. And so they took an opportunity there and pulled him aside. They said, now you need to understand something more accurately. And they taught him. When Apollos went to Achaia, just an old word for Greece, in turn, wherever he went, he blessed those people who heard him. You see what an opportunity can be like? Don't profane or have a profane attitude about precious things that God gives us, opportunities. The Bible tells us how important they really are. Opportunities are very precious. So let's think a little bit more about them in our own life. Study with me Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 4. So what I have in mind, and here in this very practical section of the book of Colossians, he emphasizes the importance of prayer. And really in this section, verses 2 through 6, he talks about sharing the gospel and uh, helping others see it. But he emphasizes also in that this idea of prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. What a wonderful opportunity that is. Don't sell out on prayer. Now Esau sold his birthright. He sold his birthright for just a, a pot of stew. And look what a precious thing he had. Have we done the same thing? Have we sold out? Look at this passage in Colossians. Colossians is trying to tell us you have a wonderful opportunity. A wonderful opportunity in prayer. You know, we had prayer tonight in our worship service. And if this old world's allowed to continue to the end of our service, we'll have a prayer concluding our service. What a wonderful opportunity prayer is. Don't sell out on prayer. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. How many times have you ever used that phrase in your prayers? Lord, open up a door so that the Word of God can be preached. Lord, open up a door so people will have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's what he's instructing them. He's instructing them about pray, that we can have opportunity, a precious thing. Precious thing to preach the word of God, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I want to speak clearly. I want to speak plainly with regard to this important matter. Have you left your room this morning? Have you learned to pray? Have you kept that wonderful appointment? What opportunities have we wasted? We sold out, didn't we? We had an opportunity there. But we sold out because we were busy with something else. We had an opportunity to pray, opportunity to sing, opportunity to come and feed upon the Word of God. But we sold out. We did something else. We sold something precious for something of little to no value. We can be modern-day Esau's if we're not careful. 
Esau walked up and said, yeah, I'll make the trade. I'll sell the birthright, something precious, for the mess of stew. Have we done the same? We need to be careful here. Time passes so quickly, doesn't it? Turn with me, as I've noted for you, John chapter 9. This is a passage we ought to keep marked in our Bible. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was emphasizing the shortness of time that he had. And he had a monumental task before him. And he was focused on it and never lose sight of that. He worked and he worked and he worked. He was tireless in his efforts. And yet he realized one day there's a day coming when I won't have the opportunity to work. That's true of you and that's true of me. The night is coming when we will not be able to work. Our life will be gone. Or we may be rendered incapable of working. We have an opportunity to do the will of God. We need to be doing it. Because there could come a time through loss of health, loss of ability, loss of life. We're not able to do what once we were able to do. Look at the opportunities we sold out. And what did we sell them for? I'm fearful that we sold them for something like a mess of stew. Mark Twain once said, I seldom saw an opportunity until it ceased to be one. Let's not be like that. I'm fearful that that kind of insight bespeaks my life as well, that there have been times when I've missed out on opportunities. I should have said that. I should have done that. I knew to do that, but I didn't do it. It was a precious opportunity. The day is short, and our lives are very short, and we don't want to leave this life failing to take advantage of the opportunities that God has given us. So I thought I'd just talk about it for a minute. Don't sell out. You got an opportunity of fellowship here. Don't sell that out. Do you sell out your fellowship with God and God's people? Compromising? Sell out the truth for fellowship? You going to give up on the truth? so that you can have fellowship with someone else and fellowship almost as if fellowship was a God within itself. Well, we'll believe whatever we want to believe so that we can be together. I hear this a lot in different ways, expressed in different phrases. Well, I've always been there because all my family's been there or all my friends have been there. But what they're doing there now in their worship service is not authorized by the Word of God. Well, I know, I know it's not right, but I just hate to leave because I've been there a long time. I hate to leave because uh, all my friends are there, and, and I remember when such and such happened and that kind of thing, and I just can't give it up for that reason. Don't sell out the truth for fellowship. Fellowship is not an end in and of itself. We can only have fellowship when we are pleasing in the sight of God, and have fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. Don't sell out like Esau with regard to the matter of fellowship. Do not sell out your moral virtue for pleasure. You remember the statement in Hebrews 12. He said, now don't let fornication come into your life. Fornication is a broad general term which includes all sorts of sexual immorality. Sexual sins. It comes under that umbrella Adultery is a very specific kind of sexual sin. The Bible is telling us in Hebrews 12, the verse that I read a moment ago, don't sell out because of fornication sexual sin. 
Now, you and I live in a world where there's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of pressure on, uh, placed upon us to sell out, pressure to compromise, pressure to be like everyone else. After all, I'm not the first one to commit this sin, so I shouldn't, shouldn't feel so badly about it. Every television program, every movie is devoted to sexual sins and admonishing the church, pressuring us, all who view that, to try to sell out and compromise on this matter. And the Bible is saying, don't sell your birthright, this relationship that you have with God for mere physical, worldly pleasure. Don't sell out your integrity for things. Be an honest person in all of your business dealings. Let your word be your bond, so to speak. And don't sell out on that. Somebody might say, well, you know, I stand to make a lot of money by, be, by doing this or by cutting that corner or by deceiving that person. You know, one of the things that bugged me the most dealing with <clears throat> different people, business people, yeah, I'll be there to take care of that on Tuesday. And I know just as sure as he told me that, he knew he wasn't going to be there on Tuesday. And so I call him, well, you didn't matter. Yeah, I got held up. Uh, I'll try to be there Thursday. And Thursday come and he not show up. Well, what about it? Well, I'll be there Monday for sure. Finally, Monday, late, he shows up. You know, if you say you can't make it, say you can't make it. I would far more respect an individual who said, now, I'm involved in this, I'm involved in that, and I cannot get there till Tuesday. If that's a problem, try to get somebody else. I'll be there Monday or whatever in trades type of profession. Let us be honest. But now that holds true in whatever profession we're in. Let us be honest. Preachers, let's be honest. We need to be honest in our Bible teaching. We need to be honest in our preaching. We need to be honest in our relationships one with another. Do not sell out your integrity for things. Now Esau sold out, but we do not want to be like that. And I also thought of this. Don't sell out your influence just to be popular. You know, your influence is such a fragile thing. Every one of us has influence on someone else. Doesn't matter how popular you are or how important you are, you influence somebody. And don't betray that influence. Lead them in the right direction. Use that influence in the proper way. And don't sell out your influence just so you can be with the rest of the boys or the rest of the girls or the rest of the guys or the company. Do not sell out your influence just so that you can have popularity. Now, I suppose it's just a basic thing about us that we want to be popular people. We want people to like us. And I suppose that was something that all of us faced as we were young. But as we got older, we grew to realize that popularity was not the most important thing and that we cannot conduct ourselves in such a way so as to be popular. When I first started teaching school, a wise uh, principal told me, he said, Jim, there are going to be students in there that love you. There are going to be students in there that hate you. You just have to understand that. And he was right. That's just the way it is. We cannot sell out our influence just so that we can be popular. And please think about this next point, and I'll explain a little more about what I mean. Esau sold the birthright and got nothing in return for it. Let us not sell out our faith in God to reason and man's thinking. Now, all of us must be reasonable thinking people. In fact, the Bible admonishes us, enjoins upon us the responsibility 
to think reasonably and rationally. But what I mean by reason in this regard is that human reason and human wisdom. Now, don't sell out. Simply because somebody comes along with a good idea doesn't mean it's going to square with the Bible. Just because someone comes along and is very popular and has a wonderful new idea he thinks it is or she thinks it is doesn't mean that God thinks it is. I talked to a man in my office this past week and uh, was happy to talk to him, and it was amazing to me. When I talked to him about, I can't go along with that because it's not authorized by the Bible. And he's uh, trying to drum up money and that kind of thing, and I said, I can't go along with that. I can't go along with that because that does not go along with what I read in the New Testament. He said, well, I thought about it, and I'm okay with it. Well, the question is not whether you're okay with it. Now, I didn't say that to him like that. I try to be kind in conversation with everyone, but that's not the point. It's not the point. The point is, is God satisfied with it? Is God pleased with it? Is it in the Word of God? You know, do not sell out for reason and human thinking. We think this is a good idea. Therefore, we are going to do this. But the question is, God has given us a pattern to follow. Let us follow that pattern. But how many times has the individual given up his faith in God and God's Word? and sold out for a good idea that came down the road that he thought was really, really good. And please take note. I thought of this as I was preparing these remarks. Don't sell out heaven to gain this world. Don't lose your soul over this world in which we live. Now we could go to 1 John chapter 2.15 and that wonderful passage. We've studied it many times. But we've got to be very careful that we do not sell out, even though Esau did. There in turn, he could not get it back. And so we can sell out. But we have a wonderful opportunity. If you have sold out, and if you've lost opportunities, there's a way back. You can repent of your sin and in turn be faithful to God once again. The Bible talks about the opportunity. Take your opportunity to serve Christ. And I have a discussion here where I was going to talk about 2 Timothy chapter 2, but I think I'm going to leave that discussion for another time. I was reading some time ago about a man by the name of Ray Regals. I don't know if you ever heard of Ray Regals or not. Ray was playing football for the University of California and they were playing in the 15th Rose Bowl game, New Year's Day, 1929. They were playing Georgia Tech. You see, University of California was doing pretty well that day. Georgia Tech was right with them, though. They were playing right along. And all of a sudden, uh, Georgia Tech fumbles the ball, and Ray jumps on it and picks it up and starts running. The trouble of it is Ray was running the wrong way. Somehow or another he got turned around and he's headed for the Georgia Tech goal line. If he crosses the goal line, he scores a touchdown for Georgia Tech. His teammate, Benny Loam, chased him down 65 yards later and tackled him. There in turn, UC could not move the ball 
there Georgia Tech blocked the kick and scored a safety. Well, at halftime, the team comes into the locker room. Coach Price is beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. Ray is over there in the corner wrapped up in a towel crying like a baby. All of the team members have got their heads down. They don't know what the coach is going to say. And the coach is wondering what to do now. So finally he decided the team that started the game is going to start the second half. Everybody. They all got up. They went out. They went to play the second half of the bowl game, Rose Bowl game, 15th annual Rose Bowl game. Everyone except Ray. Ray was over there in the corner crying like a baby. The coach said, Ray, I said, we're going to play. That means you. And Ray says, Coach, I can't. I can't. He says, I've ruined this game. I've ruined the team. I've ruined you. I've ruined myself. I can't go back out there. And that coach sat down next to Ray, put his arm around him, said, Look, Ray, this is only the first half. We got another half a bowl game to play. We need you to get in there and play. Georgia won the game that year. Georgia coach, after it was over, was discussing the game with reporters. He said, I never saw a player play harder than Ray Regals. Said he played harder than anybody on that team in that second half, though they lost the game. Ray lost the game for the team, he thought. How many times have we made mistakes like Ray and we thought, I've let him down. I've let him down. I've let him down. Only to have Jesus Christ sit down and put his arm around our shoulders and say, get back up. Repent of this sin and get back in that game. This is only the second half. You got more game to play. We got more life to live. You may have sold out. You may have said the wrong thing. You may have done the wrong thing. You may have been the wrong thing. But this gospel gives you an opportunity to turn that around and win in the last part of your life. I've read how the scholars would call it sometimes the gospel of love. And that's a good way to describe it. I've read how that some scholars have called it uh, the gospel of grace. And that's a good way to describe it. I call it the gospel of the second chance, and the third chance, and the fourth chance, and the fifth chance, whereby every person can repent of their sins and get the wrong out of their life and turn their life around. Which person in this auditorium tonight has not sold out at one time or another by saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, by being the wrong thing? But thanks be to God, you have an opportunity. You had an opportunity to hear the Word of God and repent of your sin, to turn your life around. Do not sell out the opportunities that God has given you. Do not be an Esau, whereby you sell for just a parcel that which is so precious. Recognize the blessing that God has given you. Worship with the saints when the doors are open. Sing with the saints when the songs are led. Pray with the saints. What a wonderful opportunity. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. And turn to God out of obedient faith. And ask God to forgive you. And He will.
and he'll make something great out of your life if you let him and you follow his word as you should. It is the gospel of the second chance and the third chance. Every one of us are Ray Regals. We've made bad mistakes. But we can repent of those mistakes if we choose to and turn back to God out of obedient faith. Don't sell out, but be faithful to Christ tonight. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do that now. What a wonderful opportunity you have. Don't sell it short. Repent of your sin. Confess your faith in Christ and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. You've been unfaithful to Christ. Repent of that, Galatians 6 and verse 1. Rededicate your life to the Lord. It's not how you start out. It's how you end up. Do you end up faithfully before God, having the blood of Christ atone for your sins, and thus receive the so worked-for words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. I hope and pray you will. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.